This episode is brought to you by Blueprint Renovate Program, the program designed to create space in your firm to cultivate mindset change through what you do every day. Visit blueprinthq.com.au slash contact to start the conversation. Welcome to Conversations with Sam Dean. I'm Sam Dean and I'm excited to have you here to explore the conversations that accountants and advisors can have with their clients to cultivate business mastery. All the notes and links for the show can be found at blueprinthq.com.au slash podcast. Let's start a conversation. Well, hello everybody and welcome back. Today, I'm super excited to have Mark Kalija from MCA Accounting. Um, I've been working and had the privilege of knowing Mark for about, what, two, three years now. We started working with Mark way back in, in the early days, actually, of Blueprint. And I must say that he has really embraced some of the changes that we've, we've put through. And I thought it would be an interesting interview for you guys to hear because he has really worked hard on freeing himself from the, his accounting business itself and then actually shifting that mindset from that expert mindset that we have into a more advisory mindset. Obviously, it's not something that you work on overnight, but I thought it would be super fun to um, interview someone who's actually gone on that journey and get his feedback on that. So welcome, Mark. Thanks, Sam. I think we'll start off, Mark. There's a couple of things I'd like to drill down. First of all, can you just tell us your story um, and a bit of a history of your accounting journey, if you like, and then your journey into advisory. And then after that, oh, we might um, drill down and have a bit of a chat around the industry and where you think it's going to go as well. Sounds great. Okay, so can you give us a, a rundown of your journey to date? Okay, well, when I first started accounting, I generally worked in small to medium-sized accounting practices and did that for 20-odd years, I then literally overnight stepped into a practice where I took over an accountant that was told by the ATO that he had to um, lodge all his returns by 31 October because he was still working under the good old paper format and lodged all his tax returns under paper and he wasn't willing to go to the computer age. What what year was this? Uh, Well, this is now, what, six and a half years ago. Oh, my goodness. So there was someone still on paper lodgement, even though ELS has been, what, around just in the 2000s? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well, when I started in accounting, ELS was just coming into play. So I was that's about 28 years ago now. So, yeah, so he was still lodging paper six and a half years ago. Um, went over to his office, said, I've got nowhere to go. Can I sit in your chair that he was in? He said, yep, by all means. He offered me his software that he was using, which was an old DOS-based system, and he was still actually producing reports on the old dot matrix system, believe it or not. And I duly declined that uh, invitation and said, I'll be doing cloud-based versus uh, paper-based. And he said, oh, look, I've got all the files here, and, and you can take all the um, filing cabinets. I said, I'll uh, scan the files, what I need, and you can take all the paper files back. I don't want to see any paper. He gave me a very weird look when I said that, (laughs) as you can imagine if you're still doing everything by paper. But that was literally an overnight thing that happened. So I went into practice. I was working for somebody, and I 
what he promised wasn't going to deliver. So I literally walked out the door and started practice overnight and not the best way of doing it, but yeah, it's just the way I fell in. I think that what I like about that story is that, first of all, you know, someone has, and this happens a lot in our industry and I think with business owners, um, and I certainly um, had this experience too, is when you you actually promised stuff and then it's not delivered on. And I love that you actually was were promised something and it didn't happen, so you did act on it. And I think that that's very much a proactive mindset. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes. I was at the crossroads of, I suppose, life really, not just in terms of my career. And what I learned, you know, I was like I said, I was in a mid-tier firm and the promise of, you know, becoming a partner was there and there and there and then I just got sick of waiting and I thought to myself and I had just two young kids at the time that I thought if I'm going to, have to take if things are going to happen you've got to take action so and that's where basically I think the whole journey has gone from there I've been taking action and from the day I started with you again not easy but action had to be taken to change things otherwise things are going to stay the same Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we, t- we talk about this a lot is that we can help you on your journey, but you've got to have that key driver to actually be able to take action and actually implement um, what, what's out there and, and go for it. And I think that I think one of the biggest challenges for me, which I would like you to drill down on your personal experience, is that we get so busy in the whirlwind of our businesses that we don't have time then to do that change and that action. So can you just share, because that was one of our big targets right at the beginning was to actually free you from the day-to-day of the business so you weren't working 11 12-hour days um if i could share the story of i think the first may lodgements and you'd been sort of working 11 or 12 hours and we set a goal right there and then i think i was actually driving down the highway at the time having a conversation with you it's like okay this time next year that this is not going to be a conversation that we've had and then can you drill down on what actually happened the next may not only were you traveling but on your what happened with your turnover as well sure um well i wish it was 12 hours i think i was working more like 16 17 hours <laughs> yeah and it was six days a week as well what happened to me is i knew i couldn't continue doing that that was the first thing that i knew that if i was going to continue down that path things were not going to be good for a the practice b myself and see the family Yes, so when you first got on board, I was working stupendous hours to get that made lodgement deadline. That's the pain of probably almost every accounting practice that's out there. Absolutely. Um, Freeing up time. So uh, I'm going to say this not just from an accounting practitioner's point of view, but from even my, my consulting that I do to business owners. As a business owner, you're the one that can only do it. You're the one that can only do it properly. Nobody else is as good as you. Well, that had to change. And that's one thing that you told me to do. And one of the first things you said, you need to get somebody else on board. And well, I got somebody else on board. But, you know, the first thing I said was, well, you know, what's that going to cost me? And I think the first thing that you said is, what opportunities are you missing if you don't hire someone? And I think that was the key word that really stuck in my head is what am I missing out on? I took it from the sense of from a business point of view. When I look back, I actually now look back at 
what was I missing out on from a family point of view and what else could I be missing out on? At the time I had, the boys were toddlers. But, you know, am I going to miss their first day of school? Am I going to miss a birthday? Just because I've got tax lodgement deadlines to make. And one thing that I've probably since learned on my journey is your clients don't care what you miss out on. They don't even appreciate what you do half the time, as long as it gets done and they're, they're satisfied in terms of their lodgements being done. And what I found was that by hiring that first person, it took away a lot of the work that I was doing that I didn't enjoy doing anyway. Mm. Yep. And it got me back into a role from a doer then to a reviewer again, which was great. And what I found was that the work was getting done at twice the speed because you got a second person. I was doing what I wanted to do with the clients that I wanted to work with, but that other person was doing the work that I didn't want to do. And instead of spending six or eight hours on a job, I was only spending an hour on a job, on a job that I wasn't really enjoying. So my enjoyment factor came back in. And then you created that little bit of space that I got to a point where I was starting to get the business operating in a better fashion that you could you took me on my next uh, journey in terms of working in the advisory area not just working I actually had to learn I was doing advisory some advisory it was in an ad hoc fashion versus a systemized fashion and you gave me a system that I could have used but then my biggest leap from there was learning new skills that I could deliver to my clients that that was part of the reason why I went into practice in the first place, to be able to have an impact on my clients' lives. And that, as you know, I'm forever grateful. And now I'm actually enjoying what I do more than I ever have before. So going back to my original question, just for everyone out there, the turnover in the next May, even though I think by the next May you had actually increased to two, I think you've got three now, um, staff, your turnover was bigger than it had ever been and your profit was bigger than it had ever been and you were working eight to nine hours a day instead, if I remember correctly. And then this year, super proud, in May, June, Mark actually went away to UK. He wasn't even in the building for that period of time and he still had his biggest year yet. So I think for me, that's that's what we're here for. That's what as business advisors um ultimately for your clients but then also for ourselves because if we don't walk that walk we can't actually help our business clients I was super super proud of that um for you and then what you actually did the work that you did to actually get to that point so Mark's an ideal client he actually he takes advice sometimes it, it some you know we had some uncomfortable conversations but it was it was really rewarding so just continuing on that particularly I would love to um you said we now come into the advice space so there's two things I want to draw down on that was, first of all, you talked about now you've got a business that's a business, so it's not reliant on one person, which is yourself. Do you still consider yourself, this is a question I'm, I'm really getting curious on, do you consider yourself a business owner or a practice owner? And had you ever considered yourself a business owner up until the last couple of years? To answer the first part, I'm a business owner now. I'm not a practitioner. I say that in light of what I do in the business. Yes, we have a tax, we have a compliance arm in the business. I probably only work in that 10% of my time. The rest of the time, 
I'm either running my business, making changes to the business, or doing my advisory work with my clients. So it is a business now. I can say I do have a business, and as you just said, I can say I have a business now because I am able to generate money from the business, yet I don't even have to pull a pen out to do that. That, I think, is the sign that I'm a, I've got a business that's operating versus a practice. And I think that that leads really nicely into my next question, which is a question I always ask accountants, is what does advisory actually mean to you? It's such a big word. You know, in previous podcasts, I've worked through the word advisory and what it means, but it's, it's different for everybody. So um, can you talk to me about that and why you feel what it means to you? Um, and then I suppose, you know, now that you have done that, what we just outlined with your business, you know, it's given you the confidence to actually um, do the business advisory world. Sure. To me, advisory means anything outside of doing a tax return. Tax return is a compliance thing that has to be done to satisfy the taxation office. Anything that you satisfy outside of that is always going to be primarily for your client and that is advisory. So anything people don't have to do? Yeah, because you have to lodge a tax return. You're bound by that. So anything that you don't have to do, anything outside of having to lodge a tax return, to me is advisory. And what I try and – and that is where my value to my clients, and that's what I want to give value to my clients, and the clients value more than anything else because at the end of the day, if I said ask the client, how many times do you look at your tax return or your financial statements? Well, I know they don't look at it because whenever they need it, they always ring me and say, can you please provide it because I don't know where I've got it. Whereas if I said to them, you know, that uh, cash flow budget that we did to prove that you could afford that new vehicle that you just purchased, how often are you looking at that, maintaining that and ensuring that all your bills are within the scope that you said, they look at that almost on a daily basis. Okay, cool. So I just want to get a little bit more granular on advisory. You know, I know that there's still quite a lot of work to be done on the systemization and the product, but if you had to pick one advisory product that you, you, you is your probably most successful and most often give, what would that what would that be? You know, do you do a lot of strategic work? Are you doing more advisory around the protection piece, restructuring, maybe some compliance advisory? So actually advising people on into the future as to where that they their structures and everything um, and the legislation might change. What, what is it that you actually do in your advisory products and what's been your most successful to date? Okay. Um, in terms of my most successful, I actually think it's the new skills that I learned around the whole strategic planning side for a client. It doesn't have to be a full strategic plan. I think it's you can take bits and pieces of that, but I think it's the conversation that you're actually having with a client to find out what is important to them, what's worrying them, to be able to assist and make actions on to make to take that worry out of it for them. Um, you know, my most successful thing that I think I've done for a client, two come to mind. The first one is a client had two businesses. One was going great, one was going very poorly. They made a bad business decision before they became a client of mine. It was the constant monitoring of where it was and the way it was going. If changes weren't made, 
the they would have lost everything. They would have lost a really good business, which was a cash cow for them, because the poor business was just sucking everything dry. And if it wasn't for us being forward-looking and constantly monitoring both businesses, that would have gone by the wayside and it would have come to – if it was an old-style accountant looking at their business – once a year when they were doing their tax return, they would have gone bust before they saw saw them. And what we did there was something really simple in just separating each of the businesses in their um, mile file. Everything was getting recorded as one because they were two separate um, businesses in the same line, but everything was getting recorded as one. And the second one that we had was we had a, I'm going to call him, a young guy that went into business as a sole trader, he wanted to become big and he was making decisions that were great for something that was going to be big, but he would have ran out of cash within the first six months of him being in business. So we were able to set targets for him and show him by doing a cash flow forecast for him that he was going to run out of money. What did he have to do to change his thinking about going slow and steady versus trying to be a multinational tradesperson and think that it was all going to come his way. Hmm. So just curiously, thinking about that one for a minute, the cash flow obviously would have been important, but I'm going to assume it's the conversation that you had around that, so not to quite get in the way of his ego or anything and tell him he couldn't do this, but an education process, um, if you like. Is that what happened? The cash flow was an action. The conversation is what drives everything that goes with it. You know, everybody these days says, you know, they've got these great tools and what have you and they're producing pretty picture reports and that. That's all very well and good. It's the conversation that goes with it. That's the most striking thing. You can shove numbers in front of somebody or pictures in front of somebody, but unless they actually understand what they are actually saying, it's pointless. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we worked pretty hard on that. I think that, um, you know, at the beginning, because we're not really trained into to have conversations that aren't just a solution-based conversation. Yes, this is what you need to do. I know that that's something I struggled with and why we, um, you know, we work so hard on that. I think what was the biggest skill do you think that you learned to, to be have to actually have that conversation? What was the one thing that you think you learned? For me, one of the biggest learning things that you taught me and somebody else has taught me, and it takes a lot of work, is the listening of the conversation with the client. Everybody can hear, but it's the listening. So a combination between A, the listening, and B, it's the way you ask a question. And I was always a very straightforward type of person. I've had to learn how to ask a question to be able to get the feelings from the client to what they actually want to convey. But he, but actually listening to what they say, not hearing what they say, is, that's a big thing. Yes, and um, I think that's I think if there's one skill that you can learn in life, it's that, is, is, is the listening. Um, rather than, as you said, I, um, I love the way you put that, rather than just hearing. So what I got from that is that advisory is, is really just about conversation. And sometimes that the, the, the result of the conversation isn't necessarily any kind of big documents or any pretty pictures. It's actually the result of what the client was feeling um, after that 
Absolutely. And, you know, that applies to what you've done with, with me as well. Like, you know, you've, you've guided, you've heard where I'm coming from. You can tell somebody, not necessarily it's always going to be heard the first time around, but it's the repeated message. And that comes from the conversation. Yeah, I love that. It's the repeated message because sometimes, and I know you've had this experience as well, and I've definitely had this experience a lot, is that, you know, we've got to be very consistent and sometimes it will take 18 months to work through a client on a cash flow issue and then they'll finally get it or they'll hear it from somebody else in a different way and then they'll get it. We kind of get frustrated with that sometimes, but if it wasn't for our persistence in the first place, they wouldn't have got it when it was ready ready to be heard, if you, if you like. So I think that the consistency is super important and I think that that's something that you've got very strong with over the last few years. Um I think I, you know, some quote that says, "All good, all good business people. It's not actually about the one-off things. It's about the follow-up and the persistence and the, the constant things that you do every day that get you success." Absolutely. Okay. So now that we've had a bit of a conversation about you and your learning experiences, and can I just ask, it was survivable, wasn't it? <laughs> like the shift. It was survivable. So for me, that the bit two big changes that that usually go through is first of all, yeah, giving up some of that control in the business, if you like, and then the mindset shift from the expert to advisory, which we just um, went through, and then that actually then, correct me if I'm wrong, gave you the confidence to then sit down with your clients and do the same thing, basically. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because you, you you had seen it and you know that it works, and then. Selling doesn't become an issue because you just turn around and say, oh, I've done this. It's really, really powerful. And they say yes or no. So, yes, it, it, it's an interesting thing and I think we've got to spend lots of time on it. Also, from a from an actual profitable point of view, um, you know, we are accountants. We like numbers. Can, can we just share the increase in the revenue, um, not just the big high-level numbers, if that's okay, over the three years as to um, I think because a lot of times I think people think you need to, spend a lot and you, you did spend money and time to make time and money and it's a really hard for us to actually get it but at the end of the day we're here to, we're here to run businesses and and have a profit can you just speak to that a little bit over the journey as as to what you're kind of you know where you started from a turnover point of view until where you are now today sure so when i started with yourself to two years on i doubled my turnover it was a bit like the minute mile, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I remember when we first met and we did our strategic planning session, I said I picked a figure that I thought could be achieved, which would be my dream. That would be like me flying to the moon. And you just looked at me and said, look, that's just not good enough. And you gave me a, a figure to work to. And I looked at you thinking you had rocks in your head. I think and you literally told me that, that. <laughs> yeah, probably did. And we achieved that figure in two and a half years, I think, of working with each yes, other. Yes. That was beyond my wildest dreams. And to think that I got there. And I just want to add to that, within that time, I pretty much made myself redundant from the compliance side of the practice. So that's still the main generating point of my practice. There's no doubt about that. But I pretty much made myself redundant from the main source of income in the business. In that time, I had to go back, rewrite all the systems and processes that we were doing. 
but also go and learn new skills for the advisory side. And I would turn to work and I would not really do anything in terms of the compliance side at all. I went there to study and learn what I had to do to make myself what I call an advisor today. But I think there's a key um, takeaway there is that you got your core business running smoothly first um, and really got the main money maker. You do not want to throw away your compliance businesses. They, they're gold. And the more efficient you can get them, the more you can use that experience, you know, from an advisory point of view and, and you know, kind of create the skills that we need, if you like, um, in the things that you do every day. Can we quickly just drill down on just the future because we always want to look into the future. So, so from a practitioner's point of view, from an industry point of view, where do you think, what do you think the key players, if there's one or two tips that you need to give the industry as a whole going forward, what, what do you think are the things that are going to help us maybe be the disruptors as opposed to the disruption that's coming through technology? It's actually quite a funny question you ask because you make it sound like I'm trying to look for something that isn't there, but I think it's really there. I just don't think we do it very well as accountants, is the art of the conversation. I think just getting that right conversation happening with our clients. I think that's a disruption in itself, that conversations have been there since man was was born. I just don't think as accountants, advisors, we've been taught that properly. And with all the artificial intelligence that is going around, and like I said, we've got all these pretty pictures that we can use, it's having that actual conversation with the client that we've never had before in an industry that's going to be forever there. I just don't think we're utilising it even to this day properly. No, well, as you know, I absolutely agree to that. Um, And I thank you for your response, actually. That wasn't rehearsed. Yes, because I feel that um, the disruption to our industry, that we can be the disruptors through conversation and re- really reconnecting because as accountants, most people have an accountant. So we can be that, that reconnection, if you like, for people um, as we go forward into, into it. So thank you for that. So what do you think the industry could do to actually increase that skill set? Because um, I assume you think that we might have to do that pretty quick, apart from obviously work with us. <laughs> I actually think... It goes beyond the industry. I actually think it's got to go straight back down to our universities and our teaching facilities. What I found is that when I was working at the mid-tier firms, you'd get university graduates coming out of university and they think they know everything and they know it from a textbook point of view. But when you get the – they couldn't even hold a conversation with you in an internal environment. And that to me is a very systematic problem, I think, And that's only going to get worse in this day and age where people spend a lot of time on social media and the like that they're doing their conversations through a computer versus through a verbal means. And, you know, I look at social media, your people are having conversations there, but there's no feeling behind it at all. Whereas when you're actually having a conversation, there's emotions, you you when you're having a conversation face-to-face with people, you've got to look at their reactions through how their eyes are looking, whether their shoulders are slumped when they're explaining to you that they're having a breakdown because they're working 70 or 80 or 100 hours a week in their business and they're not seeing their family. 
you've got to be able to pick up on all of that. And I don't think people are actually, especially the kids of today, are actually getting to see and understand that because they're working through a different means. So I think that that's actually got to be looked towards from the educational point of view at universities. Yeah, I think that they need to, I think, yeah, the universities overall need to rethink um, the skill sets that are going to be required in in any of these um, degree qualified. It doesn't matter if it's accounting or legal or whatever conversation and relationship building is the key to key going forward. And the only other way that I can actually think that that can be solved other than that is for any up-and-coming accountant is they've got to find the right mentors. I, I think that's really important. I think, you know, when I look, you know, going back to a question that you asked earlier, um, you know, what what's one of the greatest skills that I've got now that I'm able to hold a conversation? When I get new clients coming in where they've been with an accountant for the last 15 or 20 years, yet they, these clients have had an issue for the last 10 years, but their accountants never even asked the question or heard the client saying, this is what we look after. And then they come to me and I'm able to solve, well, to me, what's quite a simple request in the first two months of them coming on board with me. That goes to show you the conversation piece isn't being had by the older people. That's why I'm saying mentors, you've got to get that right mentor to help teach you how to have a conversation. Absolutely. And I think that conversation is something that can be taught. Um, you know, it does take time. There's a whole mindset change, um, but there's little things that you can do and tweak going forward. So it's very much a, a learnable thing. And, I, you know, for me, my passion is obviously the middle tiers and the sort of even the 40s to 55-year-olds. I think that we, the mentoring thing and actually, or even older than that, is, um, you know, we can we can start changing this conversation. And I think the older generation in the accountants, we actually have the skill set for that because of our experience just with some tweaking can speed it up, as, as, as you found out. Well, one thing I can say on benefit of uh, yourself, Sam, is if you were able to teach me how to do it, then anybody could be taught how to do it. I oh, love it. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you um, – you said that. Um, it really, it is really something. This is the reason I get out of bed in the morning, is to help people such as yourself um, change. Because I think the more we can change and develop as advisors, the more our SMEs can grow and blossom underneath that. So thank you so much for that. Anyhow, if people want to check you out or link in with you, um, where's the best place on on social or otherwise to track you down, Mark? And they can track me down on my email at mark at mcacg.com.au or I have a LinkedIn profile, Mark Collegia, accountant in North Sydney. And and I will be happy to help anybody going through that journey because I know that uh, from your help, I know I've benefited greatly as well. So happy to do that for, for them or for yourself as well. Thank you so much. And we'll put those links to Mark if you wanted to um, ask him any questions. Um, on the show notes so again thank you so much mark to everyone else remember be brave and continue conversation thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed that conversation to check out more information on all things sandine and blueprint go to the website blueprinthq.com.au and remember continue the conversation and be brave see you next time